United Nations report warns the impacts of climate change are increasing and inevitable. Experts say that we have until 2030 to avoid catastrophe. Temperatures in the Arctic have warmed about two or three times. It will be very difficult and impossible for our children to control climate change. This is South of Two Degrees, and I am your host, Brian Barnes. It is so good to have you with us today on the only podcast dedicated to bringing unfiltered scientific research to the forefront of the climate conversation. We've got a great show for you today, my friends. So once more, into the fray. Welcome back to those that have been with us over the past several weeks. And to any of you just joining us, you've jumped in at a great time. Now, over the last several weeks, we've addressed how this show, as well as you, the listener, fits into the global climate conversation and set a base level understanding of anthropogenic climate change. Now, today, it's great to finally be getting to the entire purpose of this show, to bring cutting-edge scientific research into the climate conversation without the filtering and noise you get by standard media practices. And with that, let's dive right in. The paper we're going to look at today actually requires us to address three separate papers. As always, these will be linked on the website, south2degrees.org. Now, the main topic we're discussing is a subsection of a larger yet fledgling scientific area of study called attribution science, which looks at how weather events correlate to anthropogenic climate change. And the main paper we're dealing with today is aptly named Attribution of the Australian Bushfire Risk to Anthropogenic Climate Change, which was published on March 11, 2020. But in order to fully understand it, we also need to look at a paper called A Fiery Wake-Up Call for Climate Science, which was published on January 24, 2020, and take a deep look at yet a third paper called Emergent Relationships with Respect to Burned Area and Global Satellite Observation and Fire-Enabled Vegetation Models, which was published January 11, 2019. I'm going to switch back and forth as we discuss, so if you want to read each individually, I encourage you to do so, but I also realize that you're probably here because you're not the climate nerd I am, and you just want the synopsis. Now, the big question we're looking at is, were the devastating Australian bushfires of 2019-2020 a result of anthropogenic climate change? The answer is, it's complicated. I know that's going to frustrate many of you as in today's society, we've gotten used to instant gratification with immediate answers being just a, hey Siri, away. Unfortunately for science, scientists are often forced to make simplistic statements with regards to fires and climate change in order to fit the soundbite-hungry news audiences out there. So let's start with the paper, A Fiery Wake-Up Call for Climate Science, which looks at just that. Namely, that scientists need to assist in developing useful guidance resulting from their research and be careful of overconfidence in their fire models. Now, why do scientists need to be involved in developing guidance? Because our policymakers have failed to understand the science on their own, leading to contentious political climates. Now, the U.S. is not alone in this debate as it has unfortunately replicated all over the world. And as we specifically look at Australia today, for those who don't live there, know that the anthropogenic climate change debate there has extremely vocal groups on both sides, despite the overwhelming science to back it up. As a result of these debates, knowledge gaps are created that leave most citizens completely unprepared for severe weather events. 
This is why the scientific community needs to assist in taking their research one step forward and providing clear and concise guidance. The second aspect of that paper discusses how scientists need to be careful with overconfidence in their fire models. Why? Well, to look at that, let's move on to the second paper called Emergent Relationships with Respect to Burned Area in Global Satellite Observations and Fire-Enabled Vegetation Models. Not typically a book title you'd pick up, but nevertheless, it's really interesting. Because when you realize that approximately 3% of the global land area of the Earth burns every single year, modeling becomes very important. Yet modeling fires is one of the most complex scientific endeavors out there, and the amount of work that goes into them makes modeling heat waves and droughts pale in comparison. How could it be so much more difficult, you ask? Well, let's dive into that. This paper looked at refining algorithms used to correlate the difference between burned area as observed by satellites and computed through simulations in climate vegetation and socioeconomic variables. Now, it did this with a data set from 2005 to 2011 using multiple dynamic global vegetation models, or DGVMs, in order to determine the most influential variables with regard to predicting fire, severity, and spread. Now, the word complex doesn't even begin to capture these DGVMs. To develop them, you need to model entire swaths of vegetation, not just, let's say, how many eucalyptus trees there are. Rather, how many of every type of plant, its ratio to others, the relative proximity to each other, or the forest density? Is it a broadleaf or not? Does it lose its leaf annually or continually? The average age of each to determine the amount of biomass it contains, as well as what amount of biomass it sheds every year. What's the rate of decay of that biomass and the depth of the forest floor? All of that in addition to the relative flammability of each individual species. All that just for the DGVMs, which vary by region. Now, because it gets so mind-numbingly complicated, most of the studies leave out things like the phenology of semi-arid vegetation and its root water access, as well as parts of the carbon climate feedback of these fires. Or, in other words, that large-scale fires can produce such electrically charged activity in the atmosphere through the smoke that it can cause its own lightning storms that then can, in turn, ignite more fires. Now, once these models are complete, a number of other variables need to be combined with them, such as temperature, and not just the average, but the maximum, the minimum, the diurnal, or how far the temperature dips at night, drought, winds, rain, and not just amount of rain, but also the method, i.e. is it a flood or a drizzle. This all has to be compiled on a time scale that makes sense, as you obviously can't just do it annually, as the variables aren't static. Then throw in population density, agriculture density, type of agriculture, etc., etc., I think you now get the idea of how complicated this is. And if you don't, then just hit rewind because I'm not going to do all this all over again. Now, this paper from 2019 evaluated six different DGVM models and compared that to satellite data showing burned area, which in itself can be underestimated due to cloud cover and detectability of smaller agricultural fires. And it found some common factors, namely that temperature-related variables were the most important predictors of fire probability and extent on a global scale, as well as they were the most important regionally in temperate and boreal regions. 
Now, in tropical and subtropical regions, land cover emerged as one of the most important predictors and dryness on its own, a significant predictor in tropical regions. Now, if we take those findings from 2019 and look at our main paper, finally, I know, to understand the bushfires of which the largest and most severe were in southern and eastern Australia, and that paper built off the findings of the two previous papers we've discussed today and used the Fire Weather Index, a 1976 model based off a Canadian computation that was actually reformulated in 1992 in collaboration with France. They used long-term indices of temperature and drought in 11 different modern climate models. Now, in order to reduce the complicated nature of the study, it did not use DGVMs. However, as we've seen from the prior papers and its findings, in this type of environment, temperature and dryness were found to be the most significant predictors. And as such, it doesn't really hurt the study as they use significant data sets on those two factors. Now, it found that preceding the fires was an extreme heat pattern created by the IOD, or Indian Ocean Dipole, also known as the Indian Nino, where in positive years, the waters near Africa are warmer and have more rainfall, causing a drying effect over Australia. Now, historically, there have been four positive and negative events in about a 30-year time span. However, that's shortening, and as the worst fires in Australia previously were known as Black Saturday in 2009 in Victoria, and that fire was preceded by three consecutive positive years. Now, 2019 was the driest and warmest year on record in Australia, and records go back to around Federation, so 1901 with 2017 and 2018 being significantly dry across the continent, and nine of Australia's 10 hottest years have occurred in the last 15. Now, with an extremely strong IOD in the preceding months and two years of drought, the scene was really set to be completely devastating. Ultimately, the fires claimed 34 human lives, 5,900 buildings, tens of thousands of livestock, and close to a billion animals. As our main paper built off of and used much of what we've discussed already, I'll skip ahead to its findings, namely that it's extremely difficult to attribute fire directly to anthropogenic means. That does not mean, however, that the conditions that allow for more devastating fires are not directly tied to anthropogenic climate change. It found the fire weather index has increased 30% since 1900 with a significant trend since 1979, and the probability of it being as high as 2019 has increased fourfold, and the monthly severity expected has increased by a factor of nine. Now, the heat wave of 2019 in Australia is estimated to become 10 times more likely because of anthropogenic climate change, and the norm by 2040. And what's really crazy is the heat in 2019 will be considered cool by the year 2060 based on our current trends. That said, with regards to fires, climate models fail to accurately estimate the severity. They overestimate the variability and they underestimate the probability of anthropogenic influence. So back to our initial question. Were the 2019-2020 bushfires caused by climate change? To be honest, that's the wrong question to ask. The question we and the media should be asking is, were the conditions that led to the probability of such an event 
more likely as a result of anthropogenic climate change? And the answer to that is a resounding yes by roughly 30%. As a final thought on this paper, keep in mind it isn't just the direct damage of the fire we need to worry about, as devastating as it was. The Australian bushfires this last year released 350 million tons of CO2 into the atmosphere in two months. Now, that's the same as all emissions from all passenger cars in Australia from 2011 to 2017. Yep, you heard me right. The fires released in two months the amount of CO2 that every passenger vehicle in Australia did in seven years. If that doesn't put into perspective why we need to reverse our current trends and develop better models to help predict events like this, I'm not sure what does. And that's our show for this week. Hopefully you've walked away with a better understanding and a better appreciation of the fires of 2019-2020 in Australia, how they relate to climate change, and the absolutely incredible and complicated work that the scientific community puts together in order to develop these models and help forecast these climate events in the future. Now, be sure to tune in next week as we dive into how the ozone layer and the infamous hole in it has changed as a result of the Montreal Protocol. And aside from checking out all the latest information on the website, blog, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, do this for me. Tell one other person about this show in next week. Have at least one conversation about climate change with someone else. And above all, keep it south and two degrees.